My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. You can go either way. We get given critical moments at different points in our life where the decision you make in that moment can alter your path dramatically or keep it the same. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Managing Director of Velocity Property Group, Brendan Ansel. He will share his globe-trotting story from his childhood in South Africa to playing cricket for the UK. He reveals why he moved to Australia and details how he used his background in finance to build a large property development company. In his professional life, Ansel spends his time focusing on the Velocity Property Group, which is a company that prides itself on creating luxurious spaces. We don't do um, investment type properties and we don't do uh, lower price point uh, properties. Most of our stuff's a million dollars and up. So, yeah, I've always loved aesthetically pleasing properties and luxurious properties and, and, and now we create them. As well as working hard towards his business goals, Ansel is also kept busy by building a charity. I tend to invest my own personal money in social style ventures and businesses. So we own half of a, a natural earth building company in Nepal where a gentleman who's an architect and a builder has a uh, pay it forward philosophy which was he, after the earthquakes, you know, a large portion of the country is damaged. So uh, the business model is he goes into villages uses the villagers and their labour to, to help him build the first house and then leaves them the blueprint on how to do it themselves using natural earth materials, no construction, no concrete, no steel. You know, he's teaching us how to do that. So I don't know yet how we integrate that into the business. Obviously, Australia has a fascinating and obviously constructional stability is concrete and steel. But the, uh, the irony of it in Nepal is that natural earth Houses built out of natural earth materials can withstand earthquakes, whereas concrete and steel can't. Ansel is leading a very busy life, and for him, every day is different. No day is even remotely the same as uh, the next. It's, um, um, I, I tend to be quite fluid now. Obviously, we have staff who are very specifically skilled in all their, their distinct roles, so I no longer have to be the the everything to everybody. Um, so now, yeah, it's um, 
where I'm trying to consciously create my day in a in a specific order, and and we categorize we I divide my activities into three three main um, lines of work. One is um, activities that create future opportunities and income. Uh, the second is activities that create income today or don't lose money today. So obviously problem solving, problem solving, and then the third is anything admin related or getting back to uh, people. So I prioritize my day in that order. Ansel does not have set working hours, but it does not mean he doesn't work hard. For him, the average eight-hour workday is considered to be short. Oh, if you want to be successful, that's what you got to do. You know, when everyone else is sleeping or hungover, it's what you do when everyone else is, is not at work and what you do in your spare time that makes you successful. Originally from South Africa, Ansel experienced a different childhood than expected. Uh, I grew up in Durban in South Africa. So um, um, obviously during a fairly volatile period, I was at school during the changeover to democracy, which was uh, an exciting time and a, and, you know, a great time for, for the country, but also very volatile, uh, lots of violence, lots of uh, sudden changes. So we went from a very strict militaristic style society to a completely open and free overnight. So uh, as a 16, 17-year-old, you can imagine the type of trouble you'd get up to once you suddenly got free reign in life. So, um, so yeah, we had some some challenging few years with pretty much uh, very little structure, you could say. At the age of eighteen, Ansel and his family wanted to move to Canada. However, that did not work out, so they made the big move to the land down under. Australia is a very very similar culture to South Africa in a lot of respects. You know, very similar weather. Um, very similar sporting type culture, so I'm, I'm thankful we got to come here because you know it's far easier to assimilate um, quicker and um, and build contacts and friends and stuff like that. So you know you don't have different language barriers and other other challenges. So uh, specifically, what triggered us to come? Um, yeah, dire financial circumstances and some very close calls from a, a violence point of view. Once he arrived in Australia, Ansel did not stay for long. I played representative cricket in South Africa. Um, so I had to make a choice whether to stay and have a go for the professional professional teams. Um, but obviously the risk was, was high if you didn't make it. So I came to Australia specifically to make sure I could get the passport and visa stamp first before making any decisions. And then I actually ended up only staying for about 18 months, two years, and I took off to uh, the UK to, to uh, uh, on a cricketing contract over there, and then and then for the next five years, pretty much split my time between the UK and New Zealand. Throughout his time playing cricket, Ansel did not need a typical nine to five job. I didn't have to work too much. I got I got paid to play, but um, I can't counting can't be a good thing, you know. I had a great time from pretty much 19 years old to 25. I pretty much got paid to travel the world. Didn't get a lot of money in it. It wasn't as professional back then in the late 90s as, as it, it is now. So um, yeah, we, uh, we we had a lot of parties and uh, enjoyed ourselves as well. After his cricket career was coming to an end, 
Ansel spent two years living and working in London. Obviously, coming from the sporting background, they can open up different doors. So, a very senior uh, manager high up in HSBC and investment banking gave me a job in London for, for two years after I finished cricket. So, that was a great uh, segue into out of cricket into um, a more professional environment. So, I found in, in that time in, in London, people didn't work very hard. Um, so it was a great opportunity for me to to learn, you know, the game of investment banking as, as quickly as I could. And so I, I immersed myself in it and got my knowledge and skill set up in um, in you know banking and and uh, investment models. And um, and I, I seemed to hit a wave then too in my mid mid twenties where I immersed myself in personal development as well. So I pretty much spent every waking moment learning everything I could from personal development to investing to property and quickly found that property was sort of my um, you know, my original passion and, and what I came back to. Uh, having worked in investment banking in the stock market made no sense to me and, and seemed to lack um, you know, any form of real intrinsic value. So uh, I... I and obviously, seeing people and clients lose the, the shirt off their back pretty quickly was was interesting to see. So, um, yeah, property was was always my passion. So I reverted back to that, and I started buying property in Brisbane in um, while I was working in London. To, uh, I used that income to buy property back here, and thankfully, that was you know around about two thousand, two thousand one, and two thousand two. So I bought properties generating that Logan area quite cheaply and then the market went absolutely berserk in 0304 and I thought I was a property genius. Meanwhile, all I did was buy you know, some cheap properties and they went up in value. There was no skill set in it. At this point in time, Ansel was settled into his life in London. However, a historic event urged him to move back to Australia. I came back in 2002, shortly after September 11th. I was on the trading floor in in London when the we actually um, saw on TV the, the planes going into the buildings, and half the stockbrokers on our floor their phones cut out. They were actually on the phone to some of the trading floors in the in the in the tower, so that was a, a bit of a shock. And the um, the US embassy was next door to us. So I didn't really want to hang around too, <laughs> too long. So I think I quit the next month and uh, spent three or four months travelling around Europe before coming back in uh, 2002. Once back in Australia, Ansel realised he would no longer be able to work in banking. I tried to get back into banking here. So I was a bit surprised that um, um, my experience in London didn't seem to count for me. But obviously, I wanted to come back to Brisbane as opposed to Sydney. Um, Brisbane's a very similar uh, climate and lifestyle to Durban, where I'm from. So I've always preferred Brisbane over Sydney. Um, so yeah, and coming back to Brisbane, there was essentially no banking here at that time. And obviously, um, the early 2000s was a, was a challenging time as well. And there's very little work available or on the go. And then coming into 2003, four, the um, the property market came off as well. So it was a challenging time to be in, be in Brisbane and, and get ahead. So I decided to um, branch out and get into 
finance, um, as in you know, mortgage broking and, and financing for for other developers. So I literally spent the next probably till two thousand and well, so seven, eight, yeah, probably till about. Well, I, I still have a share in, in the original finance business, which has been managed by someone else now. But up until about five years ago, I pretty much spent eight, nine years um, immersing myself in that and running my own business. And <clears throat> that was excellent because I, it was a great way to earn cash flow plus do your own small projects on the side and and also learn lessons from our clients. You know? um, so I didn't have to go through those hard times myself. From here, Ansel decided to launch his property business and we'll explore why he chose property over other investments. I've always loved property. We um, we did struggle financially in South Africa. We weren't, uh, you could say we were, we were lower lower middle class. So um, life was generally financially very much a struggle for us. But my, my mother wasn't an, a part-time interior decorator. And so I used to go with her to appointments. And I used to see how the other side lived in, you know, very wealthy uh, mansions. So, um I've always been fascinated by property and and aesthetically beautiful property. Enzo's parents never directly influenced him to go into property. They still, they're in their 70s now and they still work uh, quite hard and they're uh, in the sort of auto-electrical type businesses. So no, they've never, they've never been investors. I don't, I don't, none of my family is, is from that, from that side. So no, I'm completely, completely 100% self-made. Uh, your mindset and your personal development dictates where you are in life. There's, I, I personally don't believe uh, it's it's that random. I believe there are some random aspects to life, and, but there, we have a great element of control over it. And you're exactly where you are based on your personal development and and your internal belief system. So I I didn't want that life. I wanted a better life. So. I learned what needed to be learned. To be, you have to become the person first. You know, history will show that people that suddenly win money, like in the lotto or something, generally, in most cases, lose it and end up in a worse position than before, because their skill set and their mindset haven't kept pace uh, with their wealth. So, you know, if somebody wants to get out of that position. And obviously, I've always been a forward-thinking and forward-moving person. I can't stand sitting still. I can't stand just going to the same one day in nine-to-five job every day and say, this is my lot in life. I wasn't built that way. So I wasn't going to accept that. I was going to do whatever it took to, to get out of those situations. Ansel was determined to establish a career in property development. He explains how he made this a reality. I was always, even when I was... Um, doing the finance, I was still doing quality uh, projects. I, I just never had that ability to try and, you know, purchase a block of land and build a cheap house. I always wanted to try and spec it up or, or go for a higher price point. So, you know, even in, you know, even going back to, you know, 2009, 2010, I was doing splitters and Hawthorne, Belimba, those sorts of areas that had a million plus then. So, it wasn't, um, so we started that fairly early. But also my research told me that, you know, suburbs in, in Brisbane like Belimba, Auckland Cloud, the, you know, 
the inner city boutique, low density suburbs maintain their values exceptionally well. They're desirable lifestyle areas. So, you know, I didn't see it as great risk to go into that price point. I saw it as less risky than the, some of the cheaper suburbs that were more susceptible to interest rate rises and, and other factors and supply. You know, see constrained land supply in the inner cities of, of, of Australia. So, Once he bought a few properties, he did not hold on to them. I just kept trading up. Um, and interesting, I've had a, a very similar discussion this week with another chap I'm mentoring at the moment who is probably, you could almost identically put him in my spot back then in around 2002, 2003. And I've had this discussion this week already with someone else where uh, he's actively trying to become full-time in property but also hold on to properties along the way. And you know, unless you have a consistent cash flow, it's very, very difficult to do that. And and, and you hit the wall where you just, you know, no banks will lend you any money. So, no, I, I sold and, and kept trading up. Across his property development career, Ansel has faced challenges. However, he believes in not looking backwards and that challenges will continue to show. I would call myself a very strong, resilient person. So I tend not to be down too long or don't allow myself to stay in that frame of mind for too long. So, yeah, I have challenges every day. I have them now. Your challenges never go away. They just change. So, you know, if anyone's expecting that they'll become successful and life will be suddenly easy and you have no issues in life, well, I'm sorry, that's not realistic. Um, some of my biggest challenges are now, not necessarily back in the past, you know, because we have a far greater responsibility now. Um, I do it for the love of the game, not not for love of the game first and personal wealth second. So when we, I was just on my own as a developer running my own company and making money or losing money, um, that was fine because it was always the next deal to go into. It's a creative process that gave me my, my energy. Now I've got a far greater responsibility of looking after thousands of shareholders, hard-earned capital. So it's, it's a different type of challenge. But if I go back to deals, thankfully I've only ever lost on one deal and that was about $8,000. So, so my, my grounding in finance gave me the knowledge first before I went full-time into property. So I, was, I increased my knowledge base first before um, committing too heavily. Despite Ansel not losing many deals, when he does, he always learns a valuable lesson. I personally believe the ones you let go are more important than, than your wins. So even even stock market traders will tell you that. You minimize your losses and you ride your wins. So when you have a property or a site and you, know, you can see that the market's coming off rather than put your head in the sand and go, well, I'm just going to go and build this anyway and hope I can sell it at the end. You know, I bought this site, I got a DA for seven apartments. I was sitting there looking at it and going, well, I can't build it. I can't build it. I'm not going to be able to sell these. The market's coming off. I've got my timing all wrong here. So, yeah, you've got two choices. You push ahead and hope that it comes out all right. Well, I went, oh, there's an offer on the table. It's a small loss and $8,000 is a small loss in the project if you're going to take a loss. Um, I'll, I'll take the sale and move on. But the key there for me was I went. I kind of went outside of my usual formula 
instead of sticking to premium high-end areas, you know, high-end property owner occupiers, I went out to the outer suburbs and tried to expand the number of properties I was doing, you know, going from two or three at a time to six and seven, because I wanted to get to that next stage. I wanted to increase the size of my project, but went out to an outlying area where, you know, um, the market's more volatile. I could have lost, I could have lost a million dollars and, you know, gone bankrupt or gone backwards and or eroded years of hard work. But it's very, very difficult to, for people to admit they made a mistake. It's very, it's very hard um, to to actually put your hand up and go, I made a mess of this. I made a bad choice here. I've just got to suck up the loss and move on. And it doesn't matter if it's eight thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. If you can, if you can suppress your ego long enough to make calm, rational decisions for the long term. Medium and long-term thinking is exceptionally important in property because if you're constantly focusing on the medium and long-term, what you're trying to build, you don't mind taking that $8,000 loss. As well as learning from his losses, Ansel also learns from his successes. I've always really understood momentum. Momentum is, and that probably comes from a sporting background, playing cricket and going through long periods of time, you really get, and go and sit and watch a test match. And you'll see momentum change. And if you're watching a test match and a momentum is, let's say, all within England at one point, and then Australia gets a wicket, it's a shift in momentum. You can see the energy pickup of the, the bowlers and the players because they've noticed that they understand they've broken a pattern. So they've got momentum back on their side, so they go harder. The bowler doesn't relax and go, I've got a wicket, I'll look good on the scoreboard, I'm just going to chill out for the next few hours and bowl medium pace. They go harder. So they understand momentum. So when you get an opportunity or you meet a person or something that's really good value for you, don't go on holiday for a week. You know, go harder. You can go holiday later. Ensel has had numerous success stories. Though, in the short time we had together, he could share his top three. Uh, during the GFC, you know, everybody had severe problems. I had a lot of property interest rates went through the roof. I was really getting squeezed. Cash flow was dropping. Expenses were going through the roof. And I had a situation where I had a small project in Bloomba. Um, and I got right to the stage of starting to, about to start construction. And I just went, I can't do it. Everything's going bad in business and property. I can't build these. I've got to pull back. So obviously going to that builder, who's very, very disappointed, um, I asked them, I think I had about $15,000 in cash left. I asked them what expenses that, that they had incurred to date. So I had a choice then. I could just walk away, save my fifteen grand, look after myself. And I thought, there's something in this. There's a pivotal moment here that is something relevant to me. And if I do this, I've got to be confident I'm going to be rewarded for this. I paid him 12500 to make sure that they incurred no loss. And I went right down to my last $2,500, which is a tough thing to do. I just, had a, I just had a strong intuitive feeling that I needed to do that, that that action took me to another level, that I was... I could, you could shift your thinking from self-preservation to a more abundant, big-picture thinking. So it was a pivotal moment. That builder has 
completely missed the lesson completely. They just took the money and ran. That's all right. <laughs> so it's not my job to, you know, they didn't, they didn't understand how unique that choice was and how big it was because people would have been stiffing them left, right, and center. So that's all right. That was for me. Second is meeting uh, one of my current mentors who's you know, close to being a billionaire at the moment who is also a migrant, uh, a very relevant. I wanted to you know, I wanted to choose mentors that were relevant to my situation and migrants are very, very successful in Australia for, for obvious reasons. Um, so he's a migrant and he was essentially broke at late 40s, 50 years old and started again from scratch and has built, pretty much built a, you know, a billion dollar empire. So... In inside 20 years. So um, I listened to him talk at an event and I knew there were probably a 1,000 people there and I thought, I think everyone's going to pepper him after this. I'd just be yet another number of people ringing him asking him if they can catch up. So I think I need to think differently. I actually rang his office and I said to his secretary, I'm making a $1,000 donation to his charity now. I would like to meet him. For an hour, but there is no obligation. I'll make the donation anyway. And that that singular event make me, made me stand out above all the people ringing him, just asking him for something. And he actually called me in for a for a meeting. And then then it's proceeded to keep in touch. And I've, I've spent a bit of time with them. I've played golf with them, and the time I've spent with them has completely raised my ceiling on what is what's possible. When I first met him, I was doing little six packs, seven packs of units. And then through a little bit of interaction, I've gone, he has created a billion-dollar empire in 20 years. There's no skill set difference between him and I. There's only a mindset difference. So what I took from that is I raised my ceiling massively. And I'm, I'm not going to put a ceiling on. I want to see how far we can go with this. Can we become the biggest uh, property company in Australia? No, we, we decide. So that was the second one. You know, second most pivotal pivotal moment. Uh, the third was just a chance meeting, which was shortly after that period as well. So that was um, 2013. So it was only four years ago that I, I met uh, Momentum. And then the third event was I wanted to think how I could expand much bigger and faster. And the only way is uh, access to larger amounts of capital and bringing on powerful joint venture partners. So I very fortunately happened to meet a gentleman from Singapore who was out on holiday and got introduced by a mutual friend and just happened to be that pivotal moment in time where um, – and I actually had a choice because I was in walking down Oxford Street with my son, like going for a beer, and she rang me and said, this gentleman's out from Singapore. We're actually down the street in Belimba. Do you want to meet up? So you got a choice. You can go, no, no, I'm going to go – um, have a beer with my mates or I can go meet a business contact. So I asked somebody to look after my son and uh, I went and met him. So if I didn't go to that meeting, you know, it would have been a radically different outcome. So I met him and the, their group from Singapore came out to view a project with us and about two months later they had committed to a $20 million project, which up until that point my largest project was probably seven or eight million. So I went to another level straight away. 
and that has triggered a series of events of access to large amounts of capital through Singapore and then to become a listed company. So there's three very key pivotal moments there. But intuitively, I could I could recognise them, the importance of them at the time, and didn't, you know, committed to doing it. I didn't go and, go and play golf or, or do something else and get to that later. I, I placed them as high priority. Coming up after the break, we'll explore the strategy that Enzo used to achieve success. Before you even get to that, it helps you get to your journey faster by having as much clarity as you can on what you're trying to do. We'll learn about the effects of having mentors. You can have mentors of different kinds all the time. You know, your, your parents can be a mentor. We'll hear about the personal habits that's contributed to his success. And obviously read a lot, read a lot of books. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharm and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth-generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. We've heard about Ansel's property investing journey. Now, let's explore how he executed it. It helps you get to your journey faster by having as much clarity as you can on what you're trying to do. So before we even get to build anything or select a site, we've applied... Um, very much a an economic thought process to our company. So what I mean by that is we're studying we're studying economic trends and demographic trends consistently on a daily basis, and then formulate our our strategy after that. Thankfully, that's then coincided with you know a more market style of project. So we're, we're an aging population. Um, we have a very wealthy set of a population in empty nesters and baby boomers who have been fortunate that through the majority of their working life they've not had a recession. So the stats show that nine, the baby, boomer, baby boomers account for about 9 or 10% of the population, yet they hold 60% of the wealth in Australia. That's a massively just distorted statistic. So we take that statistical analysis and go, where's Australia going in the future? I have certain thought patterns based on my, you know, and we have one of my other mentors and, and consultants is actually a, a, bit, a bit of a, a futurist and um, trained uh, analysis style person. They come from a, a, a managed fund background. 
So, you know, we're, we're doing a little bit of future prediction here. So we've modelled all our entire business around that set of demographics and thought patterns and also what's happening in the future. So we are, we are experiencing a massive shift. Um, we will experience a massive shift in the next 20 years of baby boomers moving out of large homes into apartments and townhomes. Um, we're a little bit ahead of the curve. We, we're a little bit frustrated we're not selling as fast and, and maybe my expectations are too high because we do sell out a lot of products product completion. Uh, we have one on the Gold Coast we've sold out at the start of construction, which is very, very rare, um, very unique, very high-end uh, product in Burley Heads. Um, so we're a bit early in the cycle. We're only three to four years into a 15 to 20-year cycle. So the numbers are not there for us, for our product, but we're holding firm on that line, trusting that they'll come. And, and you know, bear in mind too, it's, it takes a lot of courage to build a $2 million property um, because there's no other options for it. You can't keep it and rent it out. You can't sell it through an investment channel. You have one, you have one exit strategy, which is to sell it to an occupier. You may think that only having one exit strategy is a risk and might cause failure, but this is where Ansel's strategy kicks in. Yeah, so our strategy is instead of doing excessively large products of 100 to 200 units, um, we're doing lots of smaller boutique products, products between sort of 15 and 50 million in gross value and numbers between sort of 15 and, and 40 apartments. So we're, minute, we're using a risk minimization strategy of diversification, spreading across lots of projects, not one massive big, you know, all-out project, which is the complete opposite of my mentor, to be honest. But he has a higher risk profile than I do. It's, he's all or nothing. So I'm not prepared to take that risk on or from our shareholders. So, no, it's not a negative question. It's something we need to ask ourselves. You know, what happens if one project goes pear-shaped? Well, we have plenty of others. And they spread and they spread around the state. So, And then we, we can make the decision when we start construction as well. Now, the other thing I try to try and do is have cheap land prices, expensive builds. You push your risk to the back end of a project. You know, a $4 million purchase on land, $20 million build, not... A $15 million purchase on land, $15 million bill, because your risk is, is brought forward. So if we purchase a site for, say, $3 $4 million and we borrow you know, 50% from a bank, we can let it sit there for five years. It's not going to stress us. So we can pick and choose when we go. So we'll start selling, and if we just don't sell anything, we won't start construction. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of little things you can learn and, and do to minimise that, but being aware of risk and, and asking these questions is intelligent. You know, the, the build and hope they come mentality is is uh, is very risky. Yeah, and different areas go off at different times. So we're hard out construction on the Gold Coast at the moment, which is going fantastic. Uh, Brisbane's tougher, so we're, we're a little bit more cautious on, on Brisbane. But even then, when we buy a site, we try and diversify the product on there as well. So we've got a site in Turinga in Brisbane, uh, which is a you know, real upmarket inner city suburb in the western suburbs near the universities near all the private schools 
And then we've got a 4,500 square meter site on a hilltop in one of the best streets in that suburb. So instead of doing 50 apartments, we're, we're mixing up the product, houses, townhouses, and uh, apartments, so, and having differing price points. So as a buyer inquiry comes in, you can move them between the different products or, or give them options. From many perspectives of property development, Ansel is very involved. This includes the design. If I get heavily involved in the architectural side, it, that's very much a passion of mine. Designing someone's home and why they want to live there. Um, so the product mix is, is a number of different factors. The topography of the land, what's surrounding the site. And the reality of the site was that it's on a hilltop but slopes down a little bit. And at the top of the hill, we've got three $4 million houses on the ridge. At the bottom of the hill, we've got six $700,000 apartments. So we've followed the topography of the land and the style of the suburb to make sense, hoping that Brisbane City Council would support us and see the rationale. But unfortunately, we don't get, we don't get any support from, from our local councils. They missed the point completely. So it took us, took us 14 months to get that approval and, and, and in court. But so I had the option there of just scrapping it and starting again, but we held sway. I said, no, no, this is the right strategy. And we, we went to court and we won. Well, the irony is we, we paid 5.7 for the site and had an offer of eight. Do you know how hard it is to say no to that offer? When everybody is telling you to bail. But we, but we sat there and went, no. This, this this product, once I get it through, has a strong profit margin and it's great for our branding and the suburb needs it. So sometimes there's a fine line between being pig-headed and stubborn. On his path to success, Ansel has been guided by mentors. You can have mentors of different kinds all the time. You know, your, your parents can be a mentor um, in... How to have ethics, you know, anyone can be a, a mentor. I don't, I don't see, I don't like to put people up on this pedestal that they have everything covered in life. I don't think that's possible. We're, we always have something to work on, whether it's our fitness, our relationship, you know, parenting, uh, work. There's always something to work on. So to put a human being too high up on a pedestal and say he's perfect, I want to emulate his life. I don't seek to do that. I, want, I still want to do my own thing. So I've only I've only take I've only gone for a mentor only in a purely a professional sense. Um, a very ethical man, but very different, you know, um, lifestyles. And because I also look at him and go, he works too much. There's no life balance. Um, so I don't, I don't want that. I do want an aspect of life balance, and, and I have a seven-year-old son, so it's important that we, I don't just perpetuate a story of having a massively successful father that you never saw, you know, for him. So, so it's you know a little bit of balance in there. Although, although balance doesn't gel well with fast uh, success. <laughs> Ironically, the power of focus is what does it. So balance for me is, is periods of intense focus to create results quickly, balancing with periods of you know, a bit of relaxation and pulling back, as opposed to just taking your seven days and dividing up between leisure and work. I don't do that. When there's key, per- key pivotal moments, you go hard at work. And yeah, your family might not see you for days. 
But then you balance you balance that up with we take a big holiday every year. Must go overseas. I'll make it big. You know, we've got a year for five, six weeks. We enjoy ourselves. We're gonna to have to get this this year for a lengthy period, so it's a different kind of balance. So going back to the mentor, I don't see his lifestyle as something I want to emulate. It's all about work. So it's only the work aspect and the mindset aspect I pull out of that. Then I have other friends who have different skill sets, you know, more of a more spiritual nature um, or or technical, you know, I have friends who are forensic negotiators and stuff like that. So I'm fascinated by that different sides of it. So you have different kinds of mentors for different aspects of your life. From his mentors, Ansel has one main takeaway. Be very, very careful who you spend your time with. As an old saying, if you want to see your future, have a look at your immediate peer group. You know, if you're still hanging around with your mates from uni who are not going anywhere, that's your future. If you if you want to increase your future and a better future, you need to get around better people because you just absorb their energy and their thought patterns whether you. So, you know, and then when you're starting out and you have dreams and you're trying to build, there's plenty of chicken littles out there who will, you know, uh, knock your dreams and and and, and Australia still has a, a, an issue with the tall poppy syndrome. I, th- I think the societal syndrome that is very limiting for us as a country to help us move forward to the next stage. You now we need to we need to be celebrating success more. As for himself, he has two main takeaways that he hopes to pass on to others. Place more emphasis on the medium to long term and less emphasis on the short term. Give yourself a break in the short term about how quickly you can receive results. Take a 10-year approach because when you do, you get massive results in the last two to three years. It's about building momentum. So give yourself a break. So when I, when I came back from London, I sat down and wrote out my goal list. I'm arriving back. I'm, I'm going to do this and I want to have 10 properties in the next you know, uh, five to six years. And then nothing happened for the first three or four years. Mass frustration until you know until some people give you some perspective. They're like, "Hang on, mate, you've only been going for three years, and you're trying to increase a you know create a portfolio of ten to fifteen properties. That's a big ask." You go, "Yeah." So you can be ambitious, but just layer it with, you know, property is a longer term game. It's not like the shares we can get in and out in five minutes. That's the, and that's not a limiting belief system. What it does is it helps you in the early days get through the tough times. You don't give up so easily because you've got a longer-term approach. And then segue to that, be very clear on what you want to achieve. What is is your primary reason for getting into property? Do you love your job and it's it's a side investment to build wealth for your family? Great, do that. Don't confuse it with wanting to get into property full-time because very few people do it successfully. If property is your primary passion and you want to get into it, then go do it. But understand that the first few years will be hard as you build and grow. But but I think a lot of people pile into the property game full-time for the love of money first and the game second. It's way harder because when you're not getting the financial results, it's harder to get out of bed in the morning and motivate yourself. Your primary, and there's nothing wrong with the primary motivation being big money. I don't, I'm not 
make a comparison there. Just understand that that um, you know your, your reasoning for doing things, and um, yeah, and just tempering it with short, medium, and long-term thinking. When it comes to personal habits that have helped Ansel, he pushes the importance of reading. And obviously, read a lot. Read a lot of books, a lot of, um, you know, when I was running the finance company, instead of listening to the radio and music, I would constantly listen to personal development style CDs and that, that stuff just to absorb into. And a lot of it can be Americanized, but you can pick and choose. But, you know, you can listen to a whole CD set and you only need two ideas, one or two ideas that can help you get to the next level. So, you know, it might be a, a educational course on sales or something like that and you know during listening to that I pick up one idea then I get to the next appointment and apply it and, and you know get better at what I was doing so like I said earlier it's what you do in your spare time you, you don't learn anything new putting the radio on listening to music although books may not specifically guide you through your property investment journey they can still provide great value I think books and that are excellent for concepts, ideas, and mindset. I've never really found a decent property book for the specific reason that they're too generic and it's very hard. There's lots of different property markets all over the world, countries, and then individually within a city. So to write a property book specifically, and I actually find them quite dull. So my style has been to use education in books for personal development and then, and then learn on the street, which has been the most value for me. And when we hire staff, we have people come in with the most fancy resumes and tremendous university degrees. Uh, in property, you've got to be street smart. You know, you can't you can't learn that stuff from a book. You've got to be on the street because negotiation. You know, how do you you know live negotiation on a property? It's very intuitive sometimes, so it's not a um, cerebral exercise. Going into the future, Ansel is excited about the development of his company. I'm in that phase where I need to reset. I need to reset higher goals because we've achieved something fairly significant in a short space of time. So I need to, I need to raise that ceiling and, and reset. So I'm still in that process. Yeah, you know, do we do we want to become one of the best small boutique property companies in Australia, or do we want to be the biggest? Um, the challenge I see with the biggest guys in the country is they have a big machine to feed, so they have to keep doing deals, and they have to spread. They have to go do deals that don't match their original ethos just to make money, to feed a machine. So if I had to make a statement, it would be become the greatest property company in Australia, not the biggest or the most profitable. Something that our, something that our shareholders are massively proud to be a part of. And we make great returns for them, but, it's, but they also see what we're doing. Um, we're doing a lot of other stuff as well. I'm actively trying to get all our projects and construction and our, and our developments off-grid to be a leader in that space and to find wealthy buyers who connect with that vision as well and will help us pay for it. So, you know, some of our projects, we're spending eight nine $900,000 per unit on the build, but we're actually spending eight fifty because of all the energy-saving devices and everything we put in. It's very hard to get someone to share that cost with you because they have a set budget and they go, that's all I want to pay for a property. So we're, we're new in that cycle. Um, 
I think everybody has the intention of wanting to help the environment and, and make and um, you know do their part. They just don't want to pay for it. My own house is off grid. I have a Tesla power Powerwall over solar. Yeah, you know, it's a bit a big thing for me is being authentic. Authentic, like actively not saying one thing and doing another. Authenticity is very important to me. That can be challenging as well. You know, um, I'm a fairly direct person and, and I can get people offside as well by not holding my tongue because I, I'm not happy about the state and the quality of the activities and the, and the levels of behaviour in our, in our game. I think they're excessively poor. Our industry needs a clean out. And it's going to come. It'll come in the, it, it'll, it'll come in the next five years. There's going to be a clean out. There's going to be some, some very challenging um, times in the market. If given the opportunity, Ansel would give his past self valuable advice that we can all learn from. I'd probably say do it earlier. Like even though our journey has been quick, I had the skill set to start and do it earlier. I just didn't, I didn't catch up with the blue system. And all the other things we've spoken about today. You know, be careful who you spend your time with, which, which I did that. I've, I've had a weeding out process over the last 10 years. Um, and secondly, don't worry so much about how you're perceived. I think a large part of our behaviour on a daily basis is to appease other people or, or concerned about how we're seen, you know, in business and life. Just be yourself and go for it. Thank you to Brendan Ansel, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.